Good morning, friends. I want to say welcome to Vernonia Church and our online teaching time. So glad you joined us this morning. My name is Sam. I'm the pastor here at Vernonia Church. And in just a few moments, we're going to be diving in and wrapping up this series where, we're be, where, where we have been talking about of the Bible. And we've been talking about some significant verses of the Bible. And in each message, we've been getting to know a significant idea of the Bible. For example, we talked about the first words of the Bible, and we got to know the God of the Bible, in the beginning God. And we we talked all about this God who created and made all things, and he's the one who brings us the Bible. And then we talked about the longest chapter of the Bible, and in that we got to know the content of the Bible and what makes up the Bible and how can we trust the Bible and how can we know the Bible's from God. And we talked about all kinds of good stuff uh, about the content of the Bible. Last week, we talked about the shortest verse of the Bible, and we got to know the subject of the Bible, Jesus Christ. It's all about him from beginning to end, the Old Testament, the New Testament. It's all about Jesus Christ. Old Testament was about Jesus coming. The New Testament was about how Jesus came, and the end of the New Testament is all about how Jesus is coming back again. He is the subject of the Bible, and so we got to know him and his heart from the shortest verse of the Bible, Jesus wept. And so this morning, we're going to talk about the last words of the Bible, and we're going to get to know the message of the Bible. And so uh, it's going to be a great day. I mean, that was a big intro, right? (laughs) I guess I covered a whole bunch of stuff there. But hey, before we dive into our teaching today, I want to encourage you to let us know that you're here. Go ahead and use that link below. There's a connection card you can click and you can let us know that you're here. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for all of you who hit that connection card link. I'm, I'm praying for all of you. As, and you can even send me personal prayer requests. How can I be praying for you? I would love to be doing that. And you can also let us know if you're interested in a gift from us. We have this book called Unshakable. It's about how to have unshakable faith during times that where we go through struggles in life. And I would love to give one of these to you free from us. And so you can let us know if you've never gotten one of those books and you're joining us for the first time here, just let us know how we can get that book to you. Uh, Give us as much information as you feel comfortable sharing, but if you want one of those books, we need to know where to send it. So be sure if uh, you want one of those to click on it. We would love to get one of those books in your hand as a gift from us to you. I also want to encourage you to do all the things that uh, we do with social media, with your podcasts, with the online videos. Make sure that your liking the page. Make sure that you're subscribing to our channel. Make sure that you're giving five stars and thumbs up and likes, all that kind of stuff. And please be sure if this message is a message that encourages or blesses you, be sure to share it. Uh, Be sure to maybe send a private message and share this message, share this teaching with somebody so that we can be a blessing to the people in your life uh, by, by sharing the message of God's word. 
with other people. And so I want to just encourage you to use that tool at your hands. God wants us to be evangelistic, and he wants us to share uh, the message of the gospel. And that's one small way that you can be doing that. And so with all that out of the way, I want to invite you to pray with me as we think about the message of the Bible and the message of God's grace. Oh, by the way, before I pray, I do want to give you a heads up. At the end of this message, as we finish up and wrap up this series, we're going to celebrate together and have a time of the Lord's Supper where we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. So at the end of the teaching time, we're going to be doing that. You might want to get everything ready if you want to join me in that. Uh, Get some grape juice together, get some juice together, get get a crackers, wafer bread, whatever uh, you have on hand, and we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper together at the end of the teaching time today. So, all right, now let's pray and let's go to this God who loves us deeply and let's go to this God who has a special message for all of us today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we want to come before you and God, we ask that you will help us understand the message that you want to give to us Help us understand the heart that you have uh, as you share with us your grace, as you share with us your love, as you share with us all that you know about us and all that you want from us and for us and all of the grace that you show us as you draw us to yourself. God, I pray that you will meet us here today as we get into your word. I pray that you will touch our hearts and speak to us. I pray that you will touch our minds and help us understand you. And God, I just pray that we will have an experience with you today as we walk through your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said together, amen. Let's dive into our teaching now, and we're going to be talking about the last words of the Bible. Pardon me, sir. I meant not to do it. Those are famous last words. Those are the famous last words of Marie Antoinette. You know, Marie Antoinette and her husband Louis of France, well, they were charged with treason and they were sentenced to the guillotine. While walking up onto the scaffold, she accidentally stepped on her executioner's foot and famously gave him that respectful apology. Pardon me, sir, I meant not to do it. What a sweet lady, right before losing her head. They were famous last words and seconds later the guillotine fell well i came across a list of famous last words you know pt barnum the last thing he said on this earth in 1891 was how were the receipts today at madison square garden apparently other things were on his mind Humphrey Bogart said in 1942, I should have never switched from scotch to martinis. (laughs) Well, writer Oscar Wilde in 1900 said, either that wallpaper goes or I do. Well, apparently the wallpaper stayed. Uh, Author James Barry said, I can't sleep, he complained. Uh, General John Sedgwick, killed in battle during the Civil War in 1864, he said, well, they couldn't hit an elephant from this dist. 
and then, then they got him, apparently. Robert Erskine Childers, in 1922, was executed by the firing squad, and uh, he famously said, Take a step forward, lads. It'll be easier that way. <laughs> Paul, Paul Claudel, in 1955, asked, Doctor, do you think it could have been the sausage? <laughs> well, probably. And we all know the famous redneck last words, Hey! Watch this! <laughs> well, this morning we're talking about some last words. Not famous last words of someone who passed away or a dying person, but the famous last words that will end the story of the Bible. They're the last words that will help us understand the message of the Bible. They're the last words in the last book of the Bible. And usually you would expect the last words of a story or a book to really sort of be the thing that brings it all together full circle. You know, I, I can help but think, as I was thinking about the last words, the last words of Toy Story 3. Now, if you know the stories of the movies, Toy Story, it's the story of these toys who have personalities who speak when no one's looking, and, and it's the story of, of Woody the cowboy and Buzz Lightyear, the, the, the future hero, and, and the toys and their adventures with their owner, Andy, the young boy who owns all the toys. And they go on adventures, and these are the great, they're great movies. And, and Toy Story 3 sort of brings everything together as Andy grew up, and he became a, a teenager, and he was ready to give up his toys. And at the end of Toy Story 3... Andy gives all of his toys to this young girl who's going to appreciate them and play with them. And he gets in his car and he drives away. And, and there's this tearful moment where you hear the famous last words of Woody the cowboy who says, So long, partner. Well, what a way to tie up the stories of Toy Story. And, and this morning we're going to look at the last words of the Bible where God is going to tie up the grand story of the Bible. And, and, and they're not so much a so long partner. They're, they're sort of a hold on to this until we see each other again partner kind of message. Now if we were going to look at the story of the Bible, we have to remember that the Bible is, is made up of this larger picture as we read any verse in the Bible. We want to keep it in context with all the rest of the Bible. And, and we remember that this is a book that was given to us by God, the God of the Bible, who we meet in the first verses of the Bible. And, and we remember that this is a book that is God's truth, God's message, that it's God's eternal uh, heart, that it's God's will, his commands, his precepts, all the things that we learned from the longest chapter of the Bible. And, and, and we remember that this this whole Bible, it's all about one person. It's about the person, Jesus Christ, and, and who Jesus is to us and who Jesus is to God. And it's about this Jesus who has incredible compassion and love for us. Uh, we see that in the, the shortest verse of the Bible, the, the verse that says Jesus wept. And, and now we're going to turn to 
the Old Testament, or sorry, the New Testament book of Revelation, where we see God sort of wrap up the Bible with a message that says, I'm coming back again, and I want you to hold on to the thing that makes all of this this message so important. You see, the message in the context of the entire Bible is, is a message that says God wants to redeem you to be his own, that God wants to give you his grace through Jesus Christ, and God wants wants you to hold on to that grace until the day he comes to receive you again. And so we turn to the very back of the Bible and we look at the very last verse of the Bible and it says this in Revelation chapter 22 verse 21. It says the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Now the book of the Revelation, we sort of need to know the what the message of that book is, if we're going to understand these last words. The message of the book of Revelation is a revelation that God gave to this apostle named John, who was exiled on the island of Patmos. The book of Revelation was the last book of the Bible that was written. It was written by the last surviving, the last living apostle who was going to be martyred. And his martyrdom came in the way of his exile on that island. And while he was there on that island, the resurrected Jesus came to him, had a message for him, had a message for him to write. Jesus told John exactly what to write and how to write it and what to say as he wrote it. And and we know that the book of Revelation was actually a book that was written sort of as a letter. It was a letter that was meant to be circulated and, and shared with the people. Uh, the people in the churches all across the the kingdom of Rome, all across the the world where the Christianity has spread, it was meant to spread to the churches all around the world, and specifically, it was meant to be given to seven specific churches that each one have a special message that was written to them right at the beginning of the book of Revelation in Revelation chapter three. We're going to come back to Revelation three a little bit as we work through this teaching today. But we will see that after the letters to the specific churches, the book of Revelation will sort of go into this story mode. It will go into what we would call an apocalyptic story mode. Now, apocalyptic literature is meant to have all kinds of imagery and all kinds of uh, all kinds of wild and crazy images and stories and things that are happening. But the overarching message of the book of Revelation will be repeated three times throughout the book. The book will tell us about the uh, about the uh, God's creation and, and, and the fall of man and Satan and his influence and hatred for God and for man. It will describe the salvation of men through the coming of Christ and his ministry. It will describe this spiritual battle that's taking place in the unseen and and spiritual realms, but it also takes place in the physical realm. It has effects on the physical realm, and we will see how the enemies of God cause great pain and suffering and brokenness on the world, and, and in the book of Revelation, it will describe a time where it looks like Satan and his influence are, are winning the day, and yet God will turn things around and 
and he will bring victory to all who follow Jesus. And, and then comes the salvation and redemption of all those who were faithful to Jesus. And then God will usher in a new creation, a new heaven, a new earth, a new holy city, where all those who follow Jesus and have faith in Jesus will dwell for eternity with him. And in some way, shape, or form, the book of Revelation three times over will tell a story like that. It will have a message that says God's people are in a broken world and in a fallen world. Satan is trying to destroy as much as he can. Looks like he's succeeding. God steps in through the person of Jesus Christ and overcomes Satan, overcomes death. And uh, and all those who follow Jesus will be with him in this end time of victory. All of that is told over and over and over again in the book of Revelation, and then the author of the book of Revelation will offer some challenges. He will offer some hope and some encouragement, which, by the way, often people look at the the book of Revelation as a book that's sort of this end-time doom and gloom, but it wasn't meant to be. It was meant to be a book of encouragement for Christians to hold on to what Jesus has given them, to hold on to the message of the gospel, to hold on to God's grace and so the author will end the message of Revelation with these words. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Grace be with you. Now this is going to be an ending that will show up over and over again throughout the the different books of the New Testament. In fact, 14 times we will see other books in the New Testament end this way. And so it can be tempting to think, oh, that's just the way that people signed off on the letter and and to sort of gloss over the message uh, at the end of the book of Revelation. But, But I have this theory that the God of the Bible who offers a a perfect message and who intentionally chooses every word of the Bible has given us a message about Jesus in the Bible and he has repeated himself 14 times at the end of the books of the Bible because he wants this to sink in. He wants us to know the grace of the Lord Jesus And he wants that grace to be with his people, with us. He wants us to understand what this means. He wants us to know his grace because his grace is the message of the Bible. The message of the Bible is all about God redeeming us by his grace that comes through Jesus Christ. The very God who created all things has set into motion his gospel of grace. And he wants us to know it. And he wants us to do something with it. And I think that's why we see the very last words of the Bible as words reminding us of his grace. And I 
want to talk this morning about some things that God is maybe telling us to do with these last words of the Bible, with the message of the Bible. And, and I think the first thing that we could say is that God wants us to hold on to this grace. He wants us to remember grace. God's grace is, is something that comes to us by way of our faith in Jesus Christ. That, that's one of the most basic parts of the gospel. God wants us to remember it. He wants us to hold on to it. He wants us to not add or take away from it. When it comes to his grace, he wants us to hold on to it. Now, I I think the word grace is a word that often we take for granted. We might use it, and we might not necessarily know what we mean when we say it. We might say the word grace, and we think of the idea of someone who's graceful, and, and maybe maybe we think that God's asking us to be graceful. Well, he is asking us to be full of grace, but not in the way that we usually mean that. Uh, you see, grace, I had a professor who used to always say it this way, that grace is a gift bestowed when wrath is owed. Grace is when God gives us a gift that goes above and beyond what we are owed. What we are owed is death. What we are owed is punishment. What we are owed looks like what Jesus took when he was abused and crucified on the cross. That's what we were owed. He died for our sins, and, and that's what it looks like to die for sin. And, and what we were owed is punishment, and yet God offers us grace if we would believe in Jesus. And not only does he not give us what we're owed, but he gives us something above and beyond what we're owed. He gives us credit for Jesus' perfection. He gives us credit for Jesus' goodness. He gives us credit for the righteousness that Jesus earned and lived. And so when we come to God through Jesus Christ, we have this righteousness that we never attained or lived up to, but a righteousness from God that comes by way of our belief in Jesus. That's grace. And that's what it means when he says grace. May the grace that comes through Jesus Christ. Be with God's people. God wants you to hold on to grace. And he doesn't want you to add to it. He doesn't want you to take away from it. He doesn't want you to say, you know what? It's grace plus me doing everything I can. It's grace plus me, you know, giving so much money. It's grace plus me doing. No, I rely wholly and wholeheartedly on God's grace. Now, God's grace will move me to live for Jesus and love Jesus. God's grace will move me to to do things that are acts of kindness and goodness. God's grace will move me to want to live by the fruits of the Holy Spirit. But ultimately, I want to hold on to God's grace first and foremost because God's grace is the message of the Bible. The author of Hebrews will tell us that God's grace by way of faith comes in the Old Testament. The author of the book of Romans will tell us, who's probably the same author, the Apostle Paul, will tell us that that the Old Testament was all about faith and grace. And the New Testament's all about faith and grace. And, and Revelation is all about the blessings that I get to take a hold of because of faith and grace. Now, there's an interesting thing that happens just before these words at the end of the book of Revelation. As the, as the author of Revelation, as John is winding down his book, he gives a warning. It says in Revelation 22, 18 to 19, it says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this 
this book. If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if you read the, about those plagues that he's talking about, you'd go, oh, I don't want to be a part of that. Uh, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away uh, words away from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. And, and we see we see warnings like this all throughout Scripture where we are warned not to take things away from what God has said and not to add things to what God has said because it's God saying it. And who are we to presume to speak for him? And, and sometimes it's, it's tempting to do both of those. You know, sometimes it's tempting to add to God's word, to, to speak for God, to, to make it more palatable for someone else. To, it, it's tempting to go ahead and add something God didn't say so that we might be able to win someone uh, to, to our way of thinking. I will never forget the time that uh, I had a neighbor who was, uh, we called her the cat lady. I don't know if you have a cat lady in your town, but we had this neighbor we called the cat lady. She lived in the house next door to us, and she didn't just have one or two or, or five or six cats. No, she had dozens and dozens of cats. I mean, she was a cat lady. You couldn't hardly walk through her house without feeling like you just could see a, uh, like a, a a fog of cat dander in her house, you know, and there were cats meowing all the time all around her house. I mean, she was a cat lady. And, and, and I remember the time that she had Mormon missionaries coming to her house and, and they were trying to share with her their Mormon faith. And, and the cat lady was coming over to our house and she was asking questions and telling us about the arguments or the discussions they were having about Bible things and, and, and how there were different doctrines and this and that. Well, finally, the cat lady gave herself over to the Mormon church because one day the Mormon missionaries came to visit with her and, and they didn't teach her from the Bible that day. Instead, what they did is they told her, listen, if you become a Mormon, when you die, you will get to be with all your cats. You get to keep all the cats that you have. Now, I'm not familiar with all the nuances of Mormon theology. I, 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 I have have other reasons to, uh, you know, not to want to follow the doctrines taught by Mormonism. They talk about Jesus and, and Jesus Christ, and they talk about Christians, and they use the word God, but they define those things completely different than then the God of the Bible defines them in Scripture. Uh, they will define them. They will define the message of the Bible and Jesus of the Bible and the God of the Bible completely different. And that's why we we know them as a cult. and And that's why we would teach that that they're the the, the, the doctrines they teach are the doctrines of demons. Now I don't know what they say about cat ladies and their cats in heaven. I really don't. But I have a feeling that that even the writings of Joseph Smith, the, the, the false prophet of the Mormons, uh, even the writings of that probably don't have anything to do with cat ladies. And sometimes what we find is we might be tempted to want to add something to what God might say so that someone might come around to our way of thinking. And, and it's almost as if we need to help God with his word. You know, God's word isn't enough, and so we'll go ahead and, and we'll say things that God doesn't say. Well, that's not how it's supposed to work, and, and John will warn us not to do that. And, and sometimes we're tempted to 
to do otherwise. We're tempted to take away from things that God does say. Because as cultures change, as as morality of the world changes, we will find that culture changed and morality changed and God's word well, it stands countercultural, and so we might be tempted to take away some things that the Bible might say uh, in conversation or in our teachings. For example, the morality of this world says sex with anyone or anything almost is okay, and yet God's word says sex is to be uh, reserved for a man and a woman in the context of marriage. And it can be tempting to skip over stuff like that, to not mention stuff like that, to not talk about stuff like that, because we don't just live in a world where, where the morality is different, but we live in a world where if you speak like that you're you're actually uh you're actually immoral and so they've taken god's morality and they've turned it upside down Uh, that's sort of a trick that satan uses when it comes to god's word and and culture and and in the world there's a morality that's quickly changing to make gender questionable but god's word is clear that god made them and created them male and female he created them and that there is gender and there is purpose and and it's not subjective it's objective and God made male and female and yet the morality of the world is flip-flopping on its head and the morality of this world denies that there's a creator but God's word is clear Uh, he he is the creator in the beginning God created the morality of this world says do what's right for you But God's word says, no, don't do what's right for you. Do what's right. Do what's good. And he will lay out uh, what's good and right. And he will give us the Ten Commandments. And he will give us laws. And and the world's morality will say, take God's laws off the walls. But God will say, no, write them on the walls of your houses. The world's morality will treat life as unimportant and expendable. But God's morality will teach that life is valuable and that he is the author and sustainer and creator of life and and the world's morality will say that you only have to answer to yourself but God's morality and God's word will teach that we all answer to him and we all will answer to Jesus Christ the morality of the world will say that there are many ways to God and there are many ways to be spiritual but God's word will teach that there's only one way through Christ Jesus and the morality of this world will see no reason to repent no reason to turn to God but God's word will call us to repent because one day we all will face him our creator at a judgment day and we could spend all kinds of time listing the ways that the morality of the world is different than the world around us and the world that God wants us to live in for most of us the morality of the world is the morality we grow up grew up with for some of you the morality of the world is the morality that you clung on to last week or yesterday and, and for some of you you've become Christians and you're still struggling with well, where do I let go of the morality of the world and 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 do I hold on to the morality of the world and, and how do I change and when do I change and where do I change and do I have to change and we have all kinds of questions like that and and 
part of what the book of Revelation is about is the book of Revelation was a letter to the world saying, hold on to God's morality because Jesus comes back and Jesus brings his grace and you will be God's people and we will go into eternity together. You just have to hold on as you go through the epic story, the apocalyptic story of this world. Now, the, the book of Revelation, it was meant to be a circular letter, which means it was a letter that was intended on being passed on from church to church to church all around the Roman Empire, all around the churches, all around the world. And uh, specifically, you, we see in chapter 3 that it was written to uh, seven specific churches that were intended as the audience for the book of Revelation. Now, one of the things that would happen with these circular letters is they would be copied. Uh, a scribe would take a scroll and would copy everything in the letter. And so here the Apostle John is saying, don't add, don't take away from the message of this book. Don't add or take away from it. You might be tempted to. The, the, the book is really out there, really wild, really crazy. It's really apocalyptic, right? But, uh, but if this book is going to be received the way God wanted it received, we don't add to it. We don't take away from it, just like we don't do that with any of the rest of Scripture, and just like we're not supposed to do that with God's grace. We don't add to his grace. We don't take away from his grace. It's his grace, not ours. And so we become stewards of his grace, and we want to hold on to his grace. You know, the book of Revelation was meant to be an encouragement for people as they were going through a world with darkened morality and the morality that was influenced by Satan on this world. The book of Revelation was meant to be an encouragement for people who are living in a, in a broken world, in a world where they're being tempted, where they're being pushed, where they're being persecuted persecuted uh, and and where they're being encouraged to turn their backs on God's word and God's grace and yet the book was meant to be an encouragement to hold on to God's grace hold on to his grace that comes to you by way of Jesus sacrifice for your sin hold on to his grace that comes and forgives you hold on to his grace that draws you to himself hold on to his grace that you receive when you say yes to the gospel hold on to it because it's God's grace that will see you through this world and it's God's grace that will see you into the next as his people and so God wants you to remember his grace and the message of his grace and God also wants you to remember the source of his grace he, he wants you to remember that this grace, it doesn't come from any other source other than Jesus Christ. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with his people. Now, he's the only source of grace we need. Leading up to this last verse, Jesus will tell us, listen, I am returning. In Revelation 22, verse 7, he says, Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed are those who keep the words of the prophecy of this book. In other words, I'm coming back to you. I'm the source of grace. I'm the subject of the Bible. And I'm going to come back to you and bring you to be with me in eternity by my grace. He is 
is the source of grace. Now, the book of Revelation will not only be a book written by Jesus as John encountered Jesus and was told what to say by Jesus, but it will be a book that will describe Jesus in many ways. As we turn to Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, we will see it says that Jesus is the faithful witness. He faithfully shared the truth of God. He faithfully served as the Messiah of God. He is the faithful witness to spiritual things and spiritual truth. And, and what he teaches, you can hold on to because he's a faithful witness. And, and in verse 5, it will say he's the firstborn from the dead. And so Jesus is a faithful witness. He's the firstborn from the dead. Firstborn in authority, firstborn in uh, in rights of a firstborn as the firstborn of God and firstborn from the dead in terms of he's the first one resurrected into eternity. He's the firstborn from the dead and he's the ruler of kings, it says. So so he's the ruler who's above all kings. No leader in this world sits on a throne above him. Not you, not any other leader or political party or political leader, not anyone with a big missile. Nobody sits higher than than Jesus Christ and he sits above the ruler of the kings of, of the earth and and to him who loves us and him who freed us from our sin by his blood and, and so we have more descriptions of him he's him who loves us he's him who frees us from sin and he's this faithful faithful God in Revelation chapter 1 verse 7 it says look he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him even those who pierced him and all the peoples of earth will mourn because of him so shall it be amen and so what we see there about him is he's coming back again and we see that he's also the beginning and the end it says in revelation chapter 1 verse 8 it says i am the alpha and the omega says the lord god who is and who was and who is to come uh, he is the almighty and so he's from he's from the beginning and the end the alpha and the omega the first in the last letters of the Hebrew alphabet, uh, or sorry, the, the, the Greek alphabet. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And, and so he's the first and the last. And even in Revelation chapter 1, verse 17 to 18, he says, I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys to death and Hades. And so there we have more descriptions. He's the living one. He's holding the keys to death and Hades and and that's who he is he is all these things and he is the source of our grace it's through him that Jesus gives us grace it's through him that we know grace and forgiveness and and it's from this Jesus that our grace comes it's through him that grace comes and so as Christians when we struggle to worship and, and we struggle to serve and we struggle to know what God wants from us in this world, we remember that Jesus is our grace. 
that even when this world stands against him, that even when people want to discourage us from following him, that even when the world doesn't mind uh, when we talk about God, but if you mention the word Jesus, they get uncomfortable, even though we will hold on to Jesus as the source of our grace, we will hold on to him and be encouraged to stay true to him and to know him and to love him and to abide in him and to continue to believe in him and to serve him and to trust him because he's returning and he's the source of our grace and he holds the keys to to death and Hades and he holds the keys to life and and until he returns God wants us to hold on to our grace that comes from him and God also wants us to know our identity through that grace he wants us to remember our identity in grace he says may uh, may may god may the grace of god that comes through jesus christ be with his people he wants you to know that if you're in jesus you are his people now he invites us all to be in jesus he invites us all to be his people you know god's people are a theme throughout the book of revelation They're the ones he's protecting. They're the ones he's fighting for. They're the ones that he's taking care of. They're the ones that he he brings to heaven. He's looking for his people and sacrificing for his people and fighting for his people and, and reaching out to his people and trying to bring a message to all people that they should be his people. And God looks at his enemy and God is winning because Jesus returns for his people and his people will be victorious and his people will be redeemed. And we see in the book uh, of Revelation that God's people go through all kinds of stuff. God's people suffer. God's people are attacked by the enemies of God. God's people go through a spiritual battle. God's people are taken up and they're gathered in a twinkling of an eye to be with Jesus. God's people worship him and thank him and praise him after he returns on a white horse to destroy his enemies and God's people are are with him. We see God's people enter into a new eternity with him. And we are told that by God's grace and the grace that comes through Jesus Christ, that we get to be God's people. And he wants you to remember who you are in grace. The last words of the Bible are words for people to remember who they are. They're words for people to remember what he has done for us. And to remember that he knows us and he wants us to know him. To remember to remain in his grace and to hold on to his grace and to stay his people. Now, I mentioned earlier on that that in Revelation chapter 3, there's a letter to seven churches. And I kind of think that that those letters to the seven churches were meant for those seven churches originally. But I also think that, that those seven churches sort of represented the overall Christian community of the world. That those letters were letters written to Christians. Uh, I think those letters, each one of them, were meant to be an encouragement to them. Uh, the letters will begin with Jesus saying I know something about you and he'll say something good and then sometimes he'll he'll throw in a little bit of but I want you to think about growing in this area and I want you to do this and then he'll finish it up by saying if you follow what I'm saying it's going to be well with you and there'll be some sort of blessing at the end of each letter to each church but I, I, I couldn't help but noticing that there was sort of this I know you sort of 
conversation happening in every one of the seven letters to the seven churches in Revelation chapter 3. If you open your Bible and look there, you you can kind of see a pattern uh, that he will say, I know this about you. You see, when you're God's people, he knows you. He knows all about you, and he still accepts you. I kind of think that's the message of these letters. I mean, there is a challenge to step up, you know, and there is a challenge to to make some changes, but it's God saying, I know you. I know my children. I know the ones I love. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 2, he says, I know your deeds. In Revelation 2, verse 9, he says, I know your afflictions and your poverty. Uh, I'm sorry, I think I said Revelation 3 over and over and over again, but it should have been Revelation 2. He said in Revelation 2, verse 9, he says, I know your affliction and your poverty. Uh, I know your struggles. In other words, he goes through and he says, uh, I know uh, your struggles and, and I know where you live. He will say in Revelation 2.13, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. In Revelation 2.19, he says, I I know you, your love and your faith and your service and your perseverance. In other words, he knows how we've grown in our faith. He knows my growth. And and in Revelation 3 verse 1, he says, I know your reputation. I know what you've done. I know your reputation. He, He will go on and say you're not living up to it you have a reputation of being alive but you're dead and then he'll challenge them to live up to their reputation in revelation chapter 3 verse 8 he says i know your struggles i know what you're struggling with he says i know that you have little strength that you have kept my word but you've not denied my name you're wore out you're tired i know you're struggling In chapter 3, verse 15, he says, I know your spiritual temperature. Here's what he says. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. And so between chapters 2 and chapters 3, there's these letters to the churches. And uh, he's basically saying, I know you. I know all about you. And here's where I want to encourage you to, to do as you hold on to the grace and to the message of the Bible. I want you to remember to stick with me. I want you to remember to hold on to my grace. And I love the way he finishes up in chapter 3, verse 20. He says this, uh, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Uh, In other words, I know you. I know all about you. I know your failures your faults. I know your good spots, your bad, and I just want to encourage you. Invite me in. Stick with my grace. Let me in. I will come into your life. Let me dwell in you and be with you and be in you. Uh, let me in. You know, I was recently asked to uh, to do a devotion at a at a meeting with a bunch of pastors, and at that meeting, I I went through these these. Uh, these letters to the churches, and I sort of rewrote them as if they were a letter to pastors, to uh, letters of encouragement, where Jesus would say, I know you, I know this about you, and, I, and, and using the context or the, the, uh, or, or the themes or the ideas of each letter, I sort of wrote this letter as if it was one letter 
to a pastor. Well, I'd like to share with you that letter, but I changed it a little bit for you today. And and I just changed it as if it was written to you as a Christian. Now, I really believe those letters were written so that you would read them and take them as God's word to you. And so uh, take this as sort of a commentary on those passages and take this as a as if it's a it's a fictional letter but it's based on the messages of the letters in in revelation there and so uh just bear with me for just a moment i'd like to share you with you this letter as if it was written from jesus to you and me dear christian here are things i know about you christian i know what you do I know when you're working hard and when you're hardly working for my kingdom purposes. There are some things that you're doing so good and I'm so proud of you. There are some things, though, that you're keeping secret and you need to repent from. I know that sometimes you forget what's important. Remember your love for me and mine for you. Our love for each other is the most important thing you need to remember. Remember why you started this Christian journey. Because you loved me. And sometimes I wish you would revisit that love and how you showed it. Remember, one day we will be eating together in paradise and and we will know that love. Here's something else I know about you. I, I know your struggle. I know sometimes you feel the weight of your Christian life. Sometimes you're depressed, angry, frustrated, perplexed, disappointed, attacked, and sometimes persecuted. I know about those times where you just want to give up serving at the church or worse. You want to give up on faith and sometimes life itself. I know you don't have the money that others who live the lifestyle or who do wicked things have. Uh, you don't have the other things that, that, that they have if you did what, what maybe they do. Well, I want to remind you to stay close to me. And I want to remind you not to worship money like the people around you worship money. I, I want to remind you that you have this calling to follow me. And and I know that sometimes your calling is rough. I see it. But remember, you are storing up riches in heaven with me. And those are more valuable than, well, they're more valuable than anything you might acquire or collect on this side of life. Because the day is coming where you will die. And the day is coming where where we will be together and you will find that your investments in me are worth way more. I know this about you too. I know where you live. I know your country, your town, your community, your ministry, your church. I I know your enemy Satan is entrenched there and working against you with no holds barred. He's He's not pulling any punches. I know he is vicious. I also know, for the most part, You have remained true to your calling. You have remained true to your calling. You have kept faith and you have been a witness in a tough place. I know that sometimes you're tempted. And you even do on occasion join in on the darkness and the dark morality of your community. And occasionally you turn your back on me. I want to encourage you to turn around, to repent and to stay strong.
Continually confess and repent. Know that I am watching. Remember, the time is coming when I will destroy my enemies and give you a new identity, a victorious one. And here's another thing I know about you. I know you have grown. You have served me with love and faith and stick-to-itiveness. You are growing, and I see it, and I'm so proud of you. You've become a better Christian than you were. But I've also seen you struggle with something. Boy, I have seen the way your heart jumps when you see people of the opposite sex. I see when you're tempted to fall to that old, old trick. I see your temptation to look at things that you should protect your eyes from. I see your temptation to give in on things that, well, I've told you not to. I see you practicing the unthinkable. I see you thinking about things and giving your heart to someone it doesn't belong to and even your body. And I'll just come out and say it. I see you flirting with the sexual sin and immorality of the world around you. I see when you're daydreaming, sinning in your private time. Do you think I can't see the screen of your phone or computer? Do you think I can't see what you replay over and over and over in your mind? It's time to grow up there too and to get some self-control. Practice saying no to sin instead of yes. Build a hedge around your heart for me and, and your spouse. Remember, I'm training you to rule and to lead not just in a church but in my entire kingdom and someday you will be leading in eternity with me it's time to get a reign over your heart and yourself and to grow as you serve me and i know this about you i, I know your reputation i know that for the most part you have a good one you have a good reputation. I know what people think about you. I know what people say about you. And I know that sometimes you know too that they have it really wrong, don't they? They think you're a good, strong Christian and that you must have arrived, that you're spiritually healthy and that you're growing and strong. They think that you're the greatest spouse and the greatest parent and the spirit-filled Christian and, and you're their fellow believer and they think that you're way better than you are. I see that sometimes you even realize it that, and you, you realize that people think you worship and, and they think that you're way ahead of where you are and yet you see them and they're ahead of you and, and sometimes it makes you feel shame i see when they think highly and too highly of your spiritual life they don't see the messy spiritual life you really live the faith struggle you have inside sometimes they don't see your rebellious streak and the sin that you hide so well don't worry i know all about you and i love you but here's what i want you to do Instead of downplaying your reputation, instead of telling everyone the truth and trying to convince them that you're really just as spiritually dead as the next person or spiritually sleepy or spiritually sinful as the rest, like some Christians seem to be bent on doing, or instead of resenting your reputation and living down below it, I want you to start living up to it. Start living up to your spiritual reputation. I don't want you to be a hypocrite and, and say that you're something you're not, but I want you to wake up and start living a spiritual life. Start 
loving me. Start repenting of your sin more. Start obeying me more. Start loving me with all of your heart. Start practicing my word as a husband, a dad, a friend, and a a fellow Christian. And one day I'm going to make you greater than your reputation. Know that. And I'm going to tell my father how proud I am of you. I want you to pursue a life that I can proudly tell my dad about. And I know that you're wore out sometimes. I know that sometimes you're exhausted and tired and and just feel you can't do it anymore. I know about the times where you've stuck it out and served me on autopilot because you, you felt you had nothing else you could do. I know that you've stayed true to your calling still, but uh, at times only just. I know that you've had moments of joy and, and a few people who've encouraged you, but you're tired and sometimes you feel weak and, and you're tired of people leaving you and tired of not being enough for others and, and tired of slow growth and tired of disobedient, unfaithful friends and, and even church members. You're tired of confusing, perplexing, discouraging destructive things people will do sometimes people in the church and and, and the things that they say Uh, people don't obey God's word and so their pastors and leaders don't have joy in 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 leading and and I know you're tired of feeling alone tired of watching people picked apart by Satan you're tired of burdens and not having anyone carry yours while you carry theirs you're tired of people caring about the little things while not caring about the big things and you know what I've been there frankly me too I've said it a time or two in my word I'm tired of it too and here's what I want you to do about it I want you to hang in there you feel like you're losing ground but know this it won't always be thankless or go unnoticed I'm going to put you on display in my eternal kingdom. When I return, you will see that it was all worth it. You'll be vindicated and rewarded as my spokesman, as my servant. And oh, what a reward I have in store for you. You just wait till you see the city and the temple that I've prepared. Just wait for the place that I have for you there. I know you're wore out, but I want you I want you to hold on. And I know your temperature. I know how you are on fire sometimes, and I know how cold your heart can be sometimes. I know when you just coast along, mediocre, and frankly, those seasons last too long sometimes. Usually, those are the times where you get caught up thinking about money or the things people have and the things of this world Usually those are times where you get jealous, covetous, envious of of other people's stuff. You forget my words. Don't envy the wicked. And your mind moves from me and your calling to those things. Honestly, when that happens, you just become meh as a Christian. I want you to get fired up for your calling again. You are saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. And you are God's people. Stop looking at all the stuff that burns in the fire to come anyway. 
I want you to think about the treasure in heaven and the dangers of hell. I want you to get fired up and remember that people caught up in this world are spiritually blind, spiritually deaf, and one day will shamefully, nakedly stand before me. Get fired up with a desire to see people get some clothes on that will help them walk through a fire. Get fired up and make sure you're clothed with me. Remember what you're working towards. One day I am planning on seating you on the throne with me to rule, to reign, to sit next to the Father. Get fired up, Christian. Listen up. I'm calling you to reign to kingship. And I know your temperature. It needs to get a little hotter. And here's one last thing I want you to know. That I'm here with you. That I'm here and I'm in you. That I'm here and I'm for you. That I'm here and you're serving me. And I'm rooting for you. And I'm constantly at the door of your life. At the door of your church. At the door of your community knocking. And remember to open the door. And we can do this together. Love your Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus. Now I want to encourage you to go back. Read Revelation 3. Read the letters in Revelation 2 and 3. And go back and just spend time in them. And think about what would Jesus say to you through those letters? What is he speaking into your life in those letters. God wants you to remember who you are and those letters are all about remembering who you are and they're all about Jesus telling you he knows who you are and he wants to call you to something greater. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your grace and your love. We pray that you will help us to hold on to the message of your grace, the last words of your Bible. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with God's people. God, may we remember who we are, remember the source of our grace, and remember this grace that, that, that is so important for us to hold on to through the rest of our lives until you return. And God, we pray that you would return soon. You said, behold, I'm coming soon. And God, we, we ask you to come soon. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this morning, we went through this teaching where we've talked about the idea that God has a message for us, a message of his grace, a message that says, I know all about you and I still accept you. A message that says, if you would open the door, I will come in. And as we're thinking about the message of God's grace, the grace that he shows us by way of Jesus on the cross, I want to encourage you to join me in celebrating what we call the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a time where we celebrate the message of the Bible, the message that Jesus dies on a cross, that he was buried And three days later, he rose from the dead. 
And if we would believe in him, that he would give us forgiveness of our sins, that he would give us hope of eternal life. And we want to embrace that message. And so Jesus told his disciples that whenever they came together, that they ought to remember what he has done, uh, that, to remember his part in bringing about that message. And so that's what we're doing. As we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we're going to take a piece of bread. I have my little Lord's Supper kit. If you have some of these, if you came by the church and picked them up, you're welcome to join us. If you have bread at home or a cracker at home, grab that. Uh, and what Jesus did when he told his disciples to remember, him is he took a piece of bread and he broke it and he gave thanks father we give thanks for all that you have done for us in jesus christ we give you thanks for the life of jesus christ we give you thanks for the message that comes out of his life the message of your love and your grace amen and then jesus ate it and go ahead and eat yours And so we eat this bread that represents the life that Jesus gave. And then Jesus took a cup of wine and passed it around to his disciples. And he said, take this and drink it. It represents the blood of a new covenant. It, it represents a blood that brings about a new way, a new relationship, a new possible uh, relationship with God through the blood of Christ that he sheds on the cross. And so we want to give thanks for this too. And and let's let's just give thanks to God. God, we thank you. We thank you for the blood of Christ that was spilled for us. We thank you for the blood of Christ that gives us a message of hope and forgiveness and grace. We thank you, God, that you don't give us what we deserve. You gave Jesus what we deserved. When he was on that cross and when he was taking the penalty and the punishment for our sin, you gave him what we deserve. And then you give us what we don't deserve, a gift, the gift of life, the gift of, the gift of giving us credit for the perfect life he lived, the gift of being able to be your children and to be yours. And God, we just thank you. We thank you for the blood of Christ. Amen. And so now we take and we drink the juice that represents the blood that Jesus shed on the cross. Let's pray one more time. Father in heaven, we come before you and we just thank you for Jesus Christ and his grace. God, we all come before you right now knowing we need your grace no matter how long we've been walking with you, no matter how closely we've walked with you, we all know we still need your grace. We all know, God, that we have sin and we've fallen short. We all know, God, that we have things we need to work on still, and yet we hold on to grace. We hold on to grace because we know that Jesus died on the cross to give it to us. And we're so thankful. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said together, amen. Well, I want to say thank you for joining me as we went through that teaching today, as we, as we celebrated the Lord's Supper today. I also want to encourage you, if you want to continue worshiping 
by giving. You're welcome to do that. You know, we at Vernonia Church, we give as a part of the way we worship and the way that we celebrate God's grace in our life. And if you want to join us and celebrate God's grace in your life by giving, you're welcome to do that. At Vernonia Church, there are a lot of ways that you can give. Uh, You can send in your offering envelopes. We have special offering envelopes we have. And, um, you know, one thing you can always do is you can always request some of those envelopes from us and we'll send them to you. They're self-addressed to the church and and we could we could send you a stack of envelopes. You're welcome to give that way. Another way you could do it's a lot easier is going online at www.vernonia.church. And if you go there at any time, there's a give tab there and you can hit that give tab and you can set up giving there. You could also spend some time and browse around the website. There's interesting things there. You can find out about our church. You can find out about uh, what's going on at our church, kids programs, adult programs, in-person worship. You could also go back and catch up on old messages. There's all kinds of messages, opportunities there too. Um, So make sure when you go to the website, you hang out a little bit and check it out. Uh, Another way that you could give is texting to give. You could always do that. Just text the word give to 503-376-6646. After all this time, I'm finally starting to remember that number um and so uh that's 376 uh 503-376-6646 and you're more than welcome to give that way Uh, i'd like to give you a quick encouragement if you have never given to jesus as an act of worship as an act of thanks I would encourage you to break the ice today. If you're joining us and you're in this teaching time uh, just give give something Give for the very first time, even if it's just a little amount. You know, any amount helps as we try to spread this ministry and this teaching and grow it. But really, this is an encouragement for you to break the ice with Jesus and give for the first time to him. And uh, and so I would encourage you to do that. And maybe you've given for the first time, but you haven't made your giving regular. You haven't automated it, you haven't begun to give on a regular basis, I want to encourage you to take a next step and begin to to automate and to give regularly. Uh, So those are two encouragements that I'd like to give you today. Uh, Even if it's just a little bit regularly, you know, a, a dollar a message every week or or you could set and you could set that up on our online giving through our tithely. Even if it's just a, 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 a little bit every week, it all matters. It all makes a difference, and it's a great way to break the ice with Jesus in giving. And so, I would really encourage you to join us in doing that. By the way, as a pastor, I want you to know that uh, I'm not getting up here and asking you to give uh, to me. I'm asking you to join me in giving as I give to worship Jesus and as I give to uh, to the church and to the ministry of Vernonia Church because I personally give and I personally give regularly. And so I would love to have you join me in doing that. But now I'd like to finish up by asking you to pray with me and ask God to bless the ministry of Vernonia Church. Uh, I've been inviting you to join me in praying this prayer at the end of our services every week because I believe this ministry matters. And so let's pray together. Father in heaven, we come before you and we ask that you would bless Vernonia Church. 
We ask, God, that you would bless us in helping us lead as you would want us to lead, as we try to lead people to the Bible, as we try to lead people to you, the God of the Bible, to understand the words that you have given in your Bible, to understand that Jesus is is the he's at the heart at the he he's at the forefront of the message of the bible and and you want him to be at the heart and the forefront of our lives and god i pray that you will help us as a church to spread the message of the bible the message of your grace the message of the gospel god i pray that through this ministry people will say yes to jesus for the first time i pray that through this ministry people will give their hearts to Jesus and find new life in you. I pray that through this ministry, our community, the community of Vernonia, will will continue to give its heart to you, that you will win this community with the gospel and the message of Christ. And God, I pray that through the online ministry, that your word will just go out and make a difference in the lives of people all over the world. I pray that you will help this online ministry grow, that, God, you will put your special blessing on it, that people will come to know you through it and make decisions through it, and that you will help us to lead and guide people to make you the most important part of their life. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I want to say thanks again for joining me today. It's been a great day. And I want to finish up by inviting you to declare with me, it's been a great day. So on the count of three, I'm going to count off. And then wherever you are, if you're in a place, you can safely do it uh, without scaring somebody to death. Uh, If you're in a place where you can do this, I'd love to have you join me and just declare out loud. uh, One, two, three. It's been a great day. Hey, I hope you have a great day. And I look forward to seeing you next week as we begin a brand new teaching series. It's going to be great. And so uh, uh, be sure to come back next week. So I hope you have a great week.